Let's come in the word of God this morning, folks. The book of Genesis in the chapter 12, please. The book of Genesis in the chapter 12. I know your pastor's going through those early chapters in Genesis, but I see he's only going up to chapter 11. So I know I'm not treading on any toes this morning or taking away from any of, of his hard work. Genesis chapter 12, we're breaking into the chapter at the verse 10, and we'll read down just to the end of the chapter, please. Genesis chapter 12, breaking in at the verse 10. The word of God says, And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass that when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen, and he asses, and men servants, and maid servants, and she asses, and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his wife, and his house with great plagues, because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram, and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou, She is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife. Take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away and his wife and all that they had. Amen. And we trust that God will bless the reading of his precious word to our hearts this morning. I want us to think about habitual sin and dealing with habitual sin. It's one of the greatest discouragements in the Christian life. It's that sin that the writer in Hebrews says so easily besets us. That sin that uh, no matter how many times we confess to the Lord it and desire genuinely to repent of it always seems to be there in the background. It caused one biblical writer to call habitual sin his shadow. No matter how many times he tries to run from it, no matter how fast he tries to run from it, no matter how far he tries to run from it, it always seems to be clinging on to him and always seems to be there in the background. And if there's one this morning that deals with habitual sin, know that you're not the first and you won't be the last. Because as we come to the word of God, particularly in the Old Testament, we see many of those great Old Testament characters that we we love reading about and desire to emulate in some respects often had their habitual sins. Abram was one of those characters. He's commended in chapter 11, of course, of Hebrews for his faith and how he strove for the promises of God and how he uh, genuinely believed that God would do what he said he would do. But as we read through the life of Abram in those uh, chapters in Genesis, we see that there were times where he stumbled. There were times that he failed. There were times where he leaned on his own understanding. And that was Abram's shadow, if we could call it that this morning. 
He did believe the promises of God. He did believe that God would do what he said he would do. He believed that God would give him a land. He promised. He believed that God would give him a son even in his old age. But even as we look at those promises this morning, we see that there are times that, that Abram takes those promises and he in some ways interprets them according to the circumstances that he finds himself in. Remember, as he gets on older in years, and he and Sarah do believe that God would give them a son, but they take that promise into their own hands, and they use Hagar, the servant girl, to bring that promise about. Here's another time where Abram, in in what we've read, where Abram takes the promises of God into his own hands. And he interprets the promises of God, he interprets the word of God in terms of what's happening round about him. And perhaps one this morning has that same problem. Maybe that is the habitual sin of one this morning. That habitual sin, if we could call it that, of doubt, of unbelief as it were. Of taking the promises of God and interpreting them depending on what's happening round about us this morning. I trust that as we look at Abram and now he, he deals with that problem this morning. That there's perhaps one that is able to, to sympathise with him and perhaps learn from him as well. This morning, because as we look at Abram here and as we see him going down into Egypt and all that happens in the verses that we've read, we see the reason behind Abram's decision here. We're told very bluntly in the verse 10 that there was a famine in the land. And it's during this time of famine that Abram leaves the promised land and he goes down to Egypt in order to find some physical respite from the famine. We're very early on into the record of Abram here in the Word of God. This is perhaps the first major test for Abram since he started out this journey with the Lord. Of course, at the beginning of chapter 12 and even very late in chapter 11, we have Abram leaving Ur of the Chaldees. God has told him and reminded him in the beginning of chapter 12 to leave the country he found himself in, to go to the land that God would show him. And as he starts out on that journey, as he goes towards the land of Canaan, just in a few verses above where we've read in the verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to him and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. So God has reminded him and God has assured him, not only of the land that he finds himself in, but of generations to come unto thy seed will I give this land. And again, Abram's reminded of the land and the lad that would come. In the years ahead. And Abram just has a, a blessed experience here with the Lord. As the Lord shows him the land of Cain. And Abram understands and he, he finally appreciates that this journey that he has taken is not in vain. And he praises the Lord for that. In verse 8 he, he builds an altar to the Lord. And he calls upon the name of the Lord. Abram's on a mountain top. Not just physically speaking but spiritually speaking as well. Here he is in great communion with God. And it's not long after that that the famine comes and there's a great time of testing and a time of difficulty. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher, always said that whenever he saw a believer enjoying the blessings of God and being on a spiritual mountaintop experience, he always kept an eye on them. Because whenever a child of God is enjoying the things of God, the devil isn't far away. Again, we think of the Old Testament and we can read about Elijah. On the battle of Mount Carmel in First Kings chapter 18, what a spiritual mountaintop he was on when he saw God's power and God's might displayed in such a wonderful and powerful way. And the prophets of Baal were proved false and they were destroyed and it only took the death threat of Jezebel to throw him spiralling into a spiritual and a physical depression. 
Chapter 18, he's on the mountaintop. Chapter 19, he's hiding in the wilderness and he's even praying that God would just take him home. And he's thinking to himself, what's the point of me even carrying on? Perhaps there's a believer this morning on the spiritual mountaintop you were on, that great time of blessing, that experience with the Lord was perhaps very short-lived because you you knew very soon the devil wasn't far away. And whenever the Lord was working... And whenever the Lord is working, we know that the devil does what he can to thwart the purposes of God. And that's what he does here with Abram. Remember, Abram is just into the land and it's no coincidence that whenever Abram starts to to enjoy this promised land and start to settle in this promised land, whenever Abram sees the promises of God unfolding, that the famine comes into the land. Abram learns very early on here that following God isn't going to be easy. That following the Lord will have its challenges. That as, as much as God assures Abram of what he's going to do. As much as God assures Abram of this promised land. And of a promised son to come as well. The devil will do what he can to upset that. The devil will do whatever he can to upset the purposes of God. And the devil certainly uses this famine in the land to, to play with Abram here. And Abram finds himself in Egypt. And we'll get more into detail about what happens in Egypt throughout this morning. But perhaps there's one believer here today. And there is that time of trouble that's arisen. And the devil's just having a heyday with you. He's enjoying this time of discouragement. He's enjoying this time of difficulty that you have found yourself in. As we think of the reasons this morning of habitual sin, is the devil doing what he can just to upset the purposes of God for you and for me? And like the Old Testament people, perhaps similarly to Abraham here in Psalm 78, when we read they speak against God and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Is there one this morning and the devil has just caused so much doubt to creep in? What can God do here? How is God able to intervene now? How is God able to turn this around? And perhaps that's what was going on in Abram's mind as well. As he finds himself settled in the land and the famine comes and he starts to to think to himself, perhaps I should go down to Egypt because God isn't really going to do anything here. Is there one this morning that's forgotten that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Is there one this morning that just needs a reminder of the power of God? To think back to what God has done in days past. Is he not able to do it in days to come? Of course he is. Is there one this morning that just needs that reminder that even in these times of famine as it were. Even in these days of difficulty to keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. To keep trusting in him that he will do what he says he will do in the time that he intends to do it. As we think of Abram here and his trying to to deal with this this wrestling of, of doubt as it were, this habitual sin. Because this isn't the only time that Abram will interpret the promises of God and try to intervene as it were and interfere with the promises of God. The famine has come into the land and, and Abram is also driven by fear here as well because whenever he gets to Egypt we read that as he's coming near to enter into Egypt in the verse 11 that he's concerned about what's going to happen with him and Sarah. He reminds Sarah of her beauty and he he compliments her but it's his beauty that in some ways he's afraid of. 
As he heads into Egypt, he's worried that the Egyptians are going to kill him and that some of them will marry Sarah then for themselves. He's actually not worried about, or rather his primary concern isn't for Sarah, as we read here, but his primary concern is about himself. Because in verse 12 he says, It shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake. Abram was willing to offer Sarah's purity as a sacrificial lamb to save himself. Such is the fear that, that Abram has for his own life. And it's that fear, and it's the famine now as well, that's causing and that's driving Abram to begin this path of habitual sin. That will cause Abram to, to trust in his own understanding. And with his eyes off the Lord in this passage, because in the verses that we've read, we don't see Abram praying out to the Lord and even praying that God would, would keep his hands safe on Sarah. Or that God would intervene in the famine and that God would furnish a table in the wilderness. Abram has his eyes taken off the Lord very quickly. It's not long after he's built the altar that he's abandoned it. And the cares of this world and the the troubles that he finds himself in have now overwhelmed his heart. That he's even willing to put others in danger to save himself. And perhaps there's times in in our hearts this morning and there's times in our lives we can look back on and we've been so filled with fear that we've made disastrous choices, we've made disastrous decisions, we've perhaps threatened to put others in danger because of the fear that we ourselves have had. And that stems from our hearts and our eyes being so far off the Lord and being unable to trust in his promises being unable to believe exactly what God said he would do. And Abram is filled with this fear. And yes, there's times where fear is perhaps justified. But we, are, but we know from the word of God that sin is never justified. That God never puts his people in a place and never puts his people in a situation where sin is the only option. He never puts believers in a place where they have to sin in order to save themselves or to save the lives of those round about him. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whenever Paul speaks about the temptations that the Old Testament Israel faced in their wilderness journeys, he brings it to you and to me as New Testament saints and he encourages us and indeed challenges us in a way as well that there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. How whenever those times of testing come, those times of temptation, in those days of habitual sin, or indeed in those times of trouble, that God provides that way of escape, that God often leaves us with many doors that we can leave through. But whenever sin has so gripped us, when temptation has so gripped us, we perhaps willingly willingly are ignorant to those ways of escape. The devil can leave us trapped and leave us feeling trapped and can so overwhelm us and can so grip us and so distract us from the Lord that we feel like there's no choice now but to sin. That was a problem that Abram wrestled with, not just here but on another couple of occasions throughout his record in the word of God. 
And so the famine is a reason for his sin. His fear is a reason for his sin. But as we've already seen this morning, his faithlessness is the reason behind his sin here. From abandoning the altar, going down to Egypt, and indeed the sin now that he wants to commit in deceiving the Egyptians and putting Sarah at harm. He forsook the promises of God to trust in his own understanding. Those verses that we know so well, those verses that we often tell the young people, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct our paths. It's easy to say that, and it's easy to obey it when things are going well, isn't it? But whenever the clouds of uncertainty come, whenever the unknown is in front of us, that's when perhaps it's more difficult to trust in the Lord, to believe that God would do what he said he would do. As we said with Abraham here, it wasn't long before that old nature, as we would call it, reared its head. Yes, he enjoyed great fellowship with God only a few verses before. He built an altar to the Lord. He called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham genuinely means it whenever he's praising the Lord here. He genuinely believes that God will do what he says he will do. But now the troubles have come. And that doubt perhaps starts to creep in. And Abraham starts to to do what he thinks is best. And for this time that we've read of here, he trusts in himself to get through this time of difficulty. As we'll see towards the end, what a disaster that turned out to be. We'll sing that hymn towards the, the close of our meeting this morning, standing on the promises of Christ our King. And it's a wonderful hymn to sing, and we can sing it oftentimes with great boldness and great declaration and great conviction. But what about that second verse in that hymn, standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Believers, whenever those storms of doubt and whenever those fears and those moments of unbelief come, that we need to cling to the promises of God. That we ought to have our eyes fixed on him and on him alone. Because again, as we'll see with Abram, it turned out to have devastating effects in the long term. See the reason behind Abram's sin here. But as we look at this encounter, we also see the riches that Abram gets in this sin. And as we think of you and I this morning dealing with habitual sin, this is one of the most dangerous aspects of habitual sin. Whenever we think of how the Lord still works in our hearts and still works in our lives in spite of our feelings. The Lord still chooses to bless us and the Lord still chooses to use us in spite of those times we let him down. And the devil can blind us so much to our habitual sin and the devil can even point us to the blessings of God as a reason to try and ignore what's going on. And as Abram here enters into Egypt... And as his plan, as it were, starts to to come into play, it seems that all is going well. Because in the verse 16, we read that Pharaoh entreated Abram well for Sarah, that Pharaoh gives Abram sheep and oxen and asses and men servants, maid servants and she asses and camels. Abram here is, is gaining in this encounter. Abram is being blessed as he carries out this act of deception. Abram is being blessed, as it were, of the Lord as he goes on this path of sin, as he's in this moment of temptation and trouble. 
And as Abram sees this great bounty coming towards him, as, as Pharaoh and his servants bring all these, these livestock and these servants to him, Abram must have a voice in his head going, God must be alright with this. God must be approving of this. This must be something that's perhaps a little sin in the sight of God. This must be something that God is willing to overlook. That as far as God's concerned, this is just a little blip and he understands why I've done what I've done. And this must be a vote of confidence from the Lord. Believer, if we were honest with ourselves, whenever we find ourselves tempted with sin, how often the devil brings that with the gazakarad, as it were, with the stick. The Lord will still bless you. The Lord will still use you. Even as we thought about with the boys and girls this morning, how the devil loves to throw scripture in our face. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're saved anyway. The Lord will still forgive you even if you want to sin. Even if you don't deal with this habitual sin, the Lord will still love you. How the devil can remind us of scripture at times as well. Paul encouraged a young Timothy as he started out in the ministry that even though, yes, there would be times that that he fell, that the Lord would still use him. But he doesn't do it for our sake, but he does it for his sake as well. Second Timothy chapter 2 and the verse 13, Paul says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The reason God still chooses to use us, the reason God still chooses to bless us, even though in those moments where we perhaps live with unrepentant sin, is for his name's sake. Is so that his promises aren't thwarted. Is so that he doesn't go back on his word. That he remains faithful to us, even though we don't remain faithful to him. And that was a lesson that, that Abram had to learn. He doesn't understand it now, but he will learn it in the days to come because some of these supposed blessings that are given to Abram would be the root cause of such bitterness and such trouble later on. We read in the verse 16 that Pharaoh gave to Abram men servants and made servants. And Abram was given these servants for the sake of Sarah. And even whenever Pharaoh commands him to leave, he doesn't take all these back because Pharaoh sends him away with, with all that he had. Whenever we come to chapter 16 of the book of Genesis, we see why this was such a disastrous thing. Because again, in chapter 15, Abram is on a spiritual mountaintop. In chapter 15, he's reminded of a promised son. And Abram again praises the Lord. Chapter 16 and the verse 1 tells us, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And if any of us know the story of Hagar this morning, we know what a disaster Hagar turned out to be in the life of Abram, and indeed in the life of the people of Israel. And Hagar was... Part of this season of blessing, as perhaps Abram called it. Abram, or Hagar was one of these maid servants given to him by Pharaoh. And again, as Hagar is, is there with Abram, how uh, she serves Abram, and even after chapter 15, whenever Abram's on the spiritual mountaintop again, she's there, ready to be used to Satan, to drag Abram down. And to cause a thorn in the side of the people of God. 
It's harsh whenever, perhaps we think it harsh, when the Lord has to deal with us, when the Lord has to correct us, when we continue on living in that unrepentant, habitual sin. But whenever we are corrected of him, how we acknowledge and how we appreciate he knows what's best. Again, thinking of Hebrews chapter 12 and the verse 1, where the writer tells us to lay aside every weight in that sin which does so easily beset us, so that we can run with patience the race that is set before us. How there's times where the Lord knows what he's doing when he tells us to, to leave something behind, to cast down those things that distract us, to leave aside and to genuinely repent of that sin which does so easily beset us. How the blessings in times of habitual sin can be dangerous to us. Of course, we can think of the lack of barriers as well to Abram's plan here because Abram has conjured up this plan before he comes to the Egyptian border. Again, in verse 11, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, it's while he's on his way to Egypt that he thinks of this plan. And he tells Sarah to tell the Egyptians that that she's his sister and that she's not his wife so that the, the Egyptians wouldn't kill him, that they would be able to marry her in free choice, as it were. And it's not until the verse 17 that the Lord seems to intervene in this plan whenever the Lord plagues Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And every step Abram takes into Egypt, and as he sees Pharaoh's servants and Pharaoh's princes pointing at Sarah and he sees the Egyptian servants come and take Sarah away towards Pharaoh's house and as Abram goes about the rest of his day and there's nothing really major that happens to him, again he must think to himself, well, God's still in control. He'll sort all this out. You know, I, I've done what I think is best and God will clean up the mess because again he has promised me a land, again he's promised me a lad. He'll do everything else. It doesn't matter if I mess up because God's there to clean up the mess. There's no barriers to Abram's plan, as it were. Again, we could think of other Old Testament characters that shared a similar mindset. We can think of Jonah. Remember, he was called to Nineveh to go to the east. Instead, he went west, the complete opposite direction, and he he managed to get to to Joppa. He managed to get to Joppa without any great barriers. He managed to get into the boat without any great barriers. He managed to get out of the dock without any great barriers. And it wasn't until he was out on the open sea whenever the storm came that he knew that God had caught up with him. And he knew that God wanted to deal with him. Whenever it comes to habitual sin, whenever it comes to that sin which does so easily beset us, we can often take God's silence as a vote of approval, as it were. That God has in some way already forgiven us, and he has. And that's what the table reminds us this morning. And you know, as we think of all these things, and perhaps there is discouragement creeping into our hearts, be reminded that the price of that sin has been paid for once for all. The wrath of God is satisfied when it comes to those sins. But he still calls us to live holy and godly lives for him in this present world. Psalm 50 and the verse 21 The Lord says, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. Believer, we can't wait for an overwhelming sense of conviction to come. 
before we deal with that particular sin. We can't wait for God to write something in the sky before we acknowledge that we have sinned in the sight of a holy God. Whenever we think of David and his adultery with Bathsheba, he had over nine months to repent. He had over nine months to confess his sin to the Lord. And it wasn't until Nathan the prophet came and confronted him face to face that David had to publicly and openly acknowledge that he had sinned before the Lord. It was a reminder to us this morning that it is dangerous to live by emotions. That it is dangerous to live by feeling. It's dangerous to live by experience. Yes, they all play a part in our Christian walk. But if we judge how we are before God based on how we think we are, if we judge how we are before the Lord based on how we're feeling, based on how our hearts are speaking to us, what a disaster of a life it will be. Our hearts very often deceive us. And that's why the Old Testament prophets said the heart is deceitful above all things, that it is desperately wicked. Who can't know it? We are as fickle as they come. There's times where we are genuinely convicted of sin one day, and there's times where it perhaps just runs off like water off a duck's back the next day. There's times we fall to sin and we feel that sense of conviction. And there's times we sin and as if the Spirit's just whispering to us rather than shouting. And we think, well, really, God mustn't really care. Whenever these riches come, as it were, during times of habitual sin, it's dangerous. How the Lord still chooses to use us in spite of our feelings. How the Lord still chooses to love us and bless us in spite of our sin. Abram was so blinded to all of these things. He was so far into this sin uh, that he couldn't accurately judge the mind of God in this matter now. And again, it's not until later on in the chapter that the Lord speaks to him. It's no coincidence either, believer, that the Lord speaks to him in the early part of chapter 12, that Abram enjoys a great time of blessing. And then after that, when he goes down into Egypt during this time of famine, when he spends this season of sin, as it were, when he deceives Pharaoh, that the Lord doesn't speak to him again until chapter 13, when he's walking around again with the Lord. And perhaps there's one this morning, and they have been entangled up in that habitual sin. They've been caught up in that sin they've never really seemed to shake off. And perhaps wondering why the Lord has been silent in this recent season. And with the hymn writer, you're lamenting this morning, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Is the Lord speaking to one this morning about the reasons of that habitual sin, of the riches, even during that time of habitual sin? Lastly, this morning, see the rebuke that Abram receives about this habitual sin. It's sad that Abram has to be rebuked of his sin by a Gentile pagan king. It's sad that Abram has to be rebuked by the world because of what he has done. What a a sad testimony, even if it was just for a moment. What a sad testimony, what a sad imprint Abram left on Pharaoh here. And this may well have been the only encounter that Pharaoh had with Abram. And all Pharaoh had to think of him was, here's a man that lied to me. Here's a man that deceived me. 
Here's a man that put his wife in danger. Here's a man that almost caused me to be killed from the hand of God because of his own fear and because his own habitual sin. Whenever Paul was addressing the believers in in Corinth and the many faults and failings that they had, remember in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, he says it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Is there perhaps something deep in the heart of a child of God this morning that would even cause the world to blush? That would even cause the world to think what on earth's going on there? Perhaps like Pharaoh, has there been one left in this recent time thinking to themselves, and they call themselves a believer? They call themselves a Christian, and that's what they've done to me. That's the damage that they've tried to do. Perhaps the Lord's warning one this morning to deal with that sin, to deal with that issue before it comes an issue where your testimony is tarnished, where your witness is perhaps harmed in some way. Abram understands now that he couldn't expect God to ignore what has been done. God had to rebuke him. God had to correct him. And he learnt early on, although Solomon wasn't around to tell him what Solomon would soon mean when he said, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Our pastor in Rafaeland, Ian Wilson, a couple of years ago now, he preached a sermon and he called it the hardest prayer to pray. And it's that prayer that's found in the psalm, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me and cleanse me from it and bring me back to the paths everlasting. Is that a prayer that needs to be made, dear child of God, this morning? As hard a prayer as it may be, as uncomfortable a prayer as it may be, is it one that you know has to be brought to the Lord when it comes to that habitual sin? You know, even though Abram is rebuked here for his failing, we still see throughout all of this God's faithfulness to Abram. Although although God had to correct him, although God had to rebuke him, God didn't reject him. And God did not forsake him. God was patient with Abram. How God didn't abandon him the first opportunity he could. At the end of chapter 13, he says to Abram, Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it unto thee. God wasn't going to revoke the promise he made to Abram. And I'm sure Abram was thankful that God is long-suffering and merciful and patient and gracious. As we come to the table this morning, as perhaps we have done times before, how we're reminded of the Lord's patience. How we're reminded of how long-suffering the Lord is with us. That he didn't cast us away the first chance he got. Or even the second and the third chance. How many chances this week? And yet the Lord never abandons us. How we're brought to this table to remind ourselves that that price has been paid. The Lord is patient with us. Psalm 103 tells us, Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. And believer, when it comes to those moments where we come to the Lord, 
And at that moment we genuinely confess that sin. And we genuinely desire to repent of that sin. He knows how sincere we are. I know this sermon has been hard this morning because it's been hard to prepare and it's been hard to study. But be encouraged this morning. The Lord knows when we're sincere. He knows that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knows that we are still at at battle and still wrestling with that old nature. Paul himself acknowledged it in Romans 7. How the good that he wanted to do at times he couldn't. And the things he wanted to avoid at times he couldn't. And he just felt like such a wretch. The closer Paul got to his death, the more undeserving he felt of the gospel. It was towards the end of his life that he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Think of the ministry the Apostle Paul had. The countless souls he pointed to the Saviour. And yet as he came near to death, he called himself the Prince of Sinners. The Chief of Sinners. Believer, come to the table this morning. Be reminded of that price that has been paid. Knowing that God will never leave us or forsake us. But still orders us and still encourages us. And with his Holy Spirit helps us to live sober, righteous and godly lives in this present age. Not only was God faithful to Abram in not condemning him and not forsaking him. But even from here, the Lord didn't decide to give Abram second best. The Lord didn't say to Abram, well I'm going to keep an eye on you. I'll keep you at an arm's distance. I'll give you the scraps here and there every now and again until you're deserving of the better things once more. As we said there, towards the end of chapter 13, again the Lord reiterates to Abram the land that is his. How Abram, if he followed the Lord and trusted in him and lent not on his own understanding, would know the full blessing of God. Would know the full riches that God intended to give him. Abram felt the effects of sin. And now he had returned to the Lord. There's nothing the devil loves to do more than keep a child of God in a place of such despondency and such despair that they feel like they can never even come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Again, we can mention 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul said that those Old Testament records are preserved for our example. As he said that any that think they stand to take heed lest they fall. Paul points to the, the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. One of the darkest days in the, word, in the word of God. Only a couple of weeks after they had left Egypt. And they built a golden calf. Of course God corrected the people. God cleansed the people. But in Exodus chapter 34. Whenever God was renewing his covenant with the people. He said to Moses. Behold I make a covenant. And before all thy people will I do marvels. Such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation, and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. How the Lord was willing to forgive them, how the Lord did forgive them, how the Lord was willing to use them again. Is there a heart this morning that's just so overwhelmed with that guilt of habitual sin? Overwhelmed with the power of habitual sin? See this morning what the Lord can do with one who is cleansed who knows the power of God 
in overcoming the wiles of the devil and cements themselves before the Lord. You know, somebody once said that God isn't looking for golden or silver vessels. He just needs clean vessels. I wonder this morning, is there a clean vessel willing and ready to be used of the Lord this morning? Let's bow in a moment's prayer. Our God and our Father, we give thanks for your word this morning. We pray you will write it and bless it upon each and every heart. Father, we know that this has been a heavy message this morning. Perhaps a one for one this morning, just such a, a convicting message that they don't know where to turn. Father, we pray you would draw them to yourself. Lord, as you encourage the believers in Ephesus, remember from where they are fallen and repent and do the first works. Father, draw them back unto yourself. And Father, for this season that perhaps the child of God has been caught up in habitual sin, we pray you would restore unto them the years, perhaps months, even if it is only months or weeks or even days that the, that the locusts have eaten. Draw them back to their first love. Restore them, Lord, to the paths of righteousness. And encourage them and remind them, even all of us this morning, that goodness and mercy does follow us all the days of our lives. For we ask it in the Saviour's precious name. Amen.